give credit to. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of the Casually Hardcore Podcast. My name is Brian, and joining us, we're very happy to introduce and welcome to the show for the first time, Rook of, a.k.a. Bird of Chess. Uh, you replaced me over on the Gamerscape uh, Aetherite Radio Podcast. I was really thrilled to get to meet you on that show, uh, getting to know you and hanging out in your stream, especially over Christmas. An incredible content creator, guys. I am... I, I just feel lucky that I was like, oh, who is this person? And wow, they're incredible. And then you were like, yeah, come on your podcast. So thank you for very much for taking uh, time out of your day. I do want to jump in on a chat thing, and then we're going to do our traditional uh, kind of intro and information. And there, Insomniac Gaming uh, is saying uh, DPS is harder than any other job that people give credit for. Uh, we were reading that as the intro was running and all agreeing pretty much, I think. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> people love to play it. And then there's a, ma a massive amount of responsibility that comes along with that DPS, and that's where I think a little bit of the drama comes in. Anyway, uh, Rook, why don't you take a, a moment and introduce yourself to the work, uh, the workforce, uh, those who might not know you, who might not heard of you. What do you play? What do you love? What got you into streaming? I I'm going to give you the floor. Thank you. Uh, a lot of pressure, but uh, here we go. Let's do it. Uh, no, uh, my name is Rook, uh, aka Burnertess, as we've said, but I am a variety. I'm a broadcaster. I focus mostly on Final Fantasy XIV Guild Wars 2, and I am a co-host now of Aetherite Radio, where I got to meet you, which was super exciting. Uh, it was so much fun getting to talk that day about everything with Final Fantasy coming to new consoles, which I know you're pretty passionate about, so it was a good time, and uh, yeah, I have been playing MMOs for a while now. But as far as what got me into wanting to stream them and play them, I uh, really had to do with a lot of the community content, the connections with people, the ability to form memories and discussions surrounding these games. And it has been incredible to continue that and uh, just see how everybody comes together over the games that we love. If you guys are uh, watching this over on YouTube or listening to this in audio form, uh, links to her content where you can follow her on Twitter, on Twitch, will be in the description below. I really hope that you guys go check her out. See what she's uh, streaming that day. It's uh, really some one of the best and top uh, top quality streamers that is out there that should totally be uh, at least given the opportunity. So please check out Rook uh, if when you have time and links will be easy for you to find in the description. You can also, again, like we said, with YouTube and audio, you can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and more. And if you guys missed our last podcast, we had Avi and Vegan Pete from She Heals I Tank for episode 50. So a long whoa. one. It was a massive podcast. Uh, we try to keep them at an hour, and we're just like, no, nope, we're rolling. We're rocking and rolling <laughs> into two-hour territory, and that's not including the post-show, which we only have up here on uh, Twitch. If you guys check our highlights section or whatever, we have all those podcast stuff there for you as well. want to thank our partnership with Exit Lag. Uh, if you guys are having any uh, issues with uh, lag in your games, uh, we have a link in the description for three free days, and if you use code DOWORK, you get 20% off. Uh, you can check it out and see if it actually helps. <laughs> Bye, lag. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that's our, that's the business concluded. Um, let's get to know Rook a little bit better. Let's talk about some stuff that's coming. This is 2020. It is, it is delay season just yesterday. Uh, seven remake, uh, delayed, uh, also Avengers delay. I'm going to kind of jump in, um, and see Rook, do you have any thoughts on that? Was seven on your, on your radar as a variety MMO streamer? How do you weave in that single player content, multiplayer content? I, I just want to know, teach me your ways. Single player games were my first true love. I mean, it's funny because all things considered, I came to MMOs probably a lot later than most people. So I didn't grow up playing WoW. I didn't grow up playing Final Fantasy XI. I literally never had a computer that could run them. I joke on stream because I bought Final Fantasy XI 
early on when it was released because I thought that the system requirements were more like system guidelines and that <laughs> I was young, please bear with me. And the that if I just, with a different game, go ahead. Yeah. If I used the power of heart enough, my computer would just be able to run Final Fantasy XI through that magical exchange of love. And it did not work and I could not play it. So I came to MMOs probably about, oh gosh, five or six years ago. But before that I played all single players and one of the very first franchises other than some of the isometric RPGs like Baldur's Gate and mm -hmm. all those originals that I really fell in love with was the Final Fantasy series and Final Fantasy VIII, so one after seven. But over time I went through- it was my very oh, first. It was my very first. I and love I, these stories. Like, just because it's always neat to see when people came in. But I cut you off. Please go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, it's so fun. I agree. I love hearing about everybody's journey. And Final Fantasy has spanned so many years that it is really incredible how many people have been affected by it. So over time, I went back. And it has been so long since I actually played 7 that when they announced news of the remake, I was like, this is perfect. I'm so excited. This is going to be so good. And we can come back to it and people are going to be playing it for the first time. And that's just so amazing. So all of that said, I honestly am not surprised. It, it was kind of funny to me that people were, I think some people were blindsided by the delay for, for the seven remake. Yeah. But I was just surprised that we hadn't heard of a remake or like a delay with the remake sooner <laughs> because this is such a huge thing, especially for that first episode to get rolling, that it makes sense to me. They really want to make sure that it's good. They really don't want negative backlash. They really, really, really want this to start it off because it is such a huge game in the history of RPGs and JRPGs. I think last year alone, when we see that these games get pushed out and they're not ready and the blowback and the frustration, it's just so, like, it's great for the YouTube views. Like at the end of the day, like you look at Fallout 76 and Anthem and some of these games that it's just like, yeah, it's great for the views, but it's not really great for like community. You know, it's not really great for what brings us together. And uh, and so that's actually one of the things that I really respect, I think. And uh, I connect this in, in some ways to 14 and to how Square Enix has kind of shaken up the studio because they they did that with 14 1.0. Like it was just like, let's get it out and fix it later. And hopefully more people are able to adopt that mindset. We'll ultimately have to see where it goes with Avengers where it's a game that I'm interested in, but I'm also nervous by. It's like this weird, like, I really want them to be good because it, on paper, it sounds great. But then it's like they delayed that even further. Perfect. Just get it right. Don't rush it. And, you know, that, and that's, that, that's the hope there. The downside is, are you looking forward to Cyberpunk 2077 at all? Uh, yes. <laughs> but look, there is one week between them. So, seven, episode one comes out. I play that hard that whole week. Then Cyberpunk is the rest of my life for all of 2020. So that's the plan. What if it's like 60 hours? Like, is it really that short? I, don't, well, I like seven. how she says like, short. It's, oh, like oh, seven oh, to 60 hours. No, 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 no. Like, I misunderstood. I thought you meant you... what if there's only a 60 hour window between the releases? But no, yeah, no, what just, if the What if you have one week to put 60 hours into a game? You know, sleep is an option that you could decline. <laughs> it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit tough. But, I mean, it's funny because with its original release date, we were already overlapping with Animal Crossing anyway. And a lot of other big titles that were coming out. I mean, yeah. 2020 is a huge release year. So, yeah. which it's is just... Go ahead, sorry. 
No, it's just one of those things where I think we're going to all be trying to sort of jigsaw our schedules into place to be able to play all these releases. And then it concludes, like, I'm so excited about this year, and this is what we'll talk a little bit about in, in the overall show. And it concludes with PS5 and Xbox Series X. And possibly, and people keep talking to me about possible Switch Pro rumors, to which I'm just going, I believe the Switch Pro rumor is a requirement for January and February content creation. I would love to see it, but I'm not going to talk about it. Like, it's it's just this, like, it's January, February, here's the Switch Pro rumors that we've been getting since, I think, the first year that the Switch <laughs> was out. Like, guys, Switch Pro, like, literally, I think it's a requirement. So, beyond Thankfully, that, we'll be... Go ahead, Chris. You know, th- thankfully, Xbox has already said that it's going to be a, it's not going to be a heavy, like all these titles coming out for the Series X all at once that they intend to kind of stagger that out. It'll keep it a really nice like value add for things like Game Pass that it's not like, oh, you're on an Xbox One? Well, Game Pass is terrible now. Um, so <laughs> like, but do you remember when the Switch came out? And it was like, oh, you have Zelda and then you have like, and then it was Mario. Like the, it was really slow out of the gate. The biggest issue with the Switch was like, what do I play on it? I bought a really expensive handheld for two games, three games. And now it has this huge library. So hopefully the Xbox can come out slow enough that it gives us a chance to enjoy other things in 2020. Yeah. Chris, sure. was, Chris was talking about, cause I don't have a PlayStation. So for me, seven was always delayed for a year. Like I was like, well, <laughs> I guess I'll get it on PC or Xbox or PS five. Like I honestly, I was like the PS, my PS died close enough. Cause I was like, well, PS five comes out in a, in like, Six, 16, 18 months. Like it was a year. Like I'm just going to wait. Like I'm just going to wait. And I was like, okay. So he's talking about giving me that now. And I was, I was planning on cyberpunk and my dilemma is where do I get cyberpunk on? Um, you know, like I, I just don't know what, what platform should I go with PC? Should I go with Xbox? Should I go even the question of stadia? Uh, you know, in my mind comes up because it actually is a platform that works for me. It doesn't work for Chris and we're in the same state. So it's, you know, it is so fascinating, but, um, so I'm looking at like just the the options I haven't decided yet. So ultimately I'm gonna have to wait and see, but goodness gracious, Chris, you suck. Cause I was playing on you playing seven remake (laughs) and that way. I I I don't know. I could, I I just, if they delay it again. So like I'm looking down the barrel at Shadowlands and like, there's going to be an epic pre-patch. Yeah. So yes, yeah, Shadowlands will release in the summer, but they always have these epic pre-patches and those are, that's it. Like you play it that one time where you don't play it. Right. And then meanwhile, we have 14 gearing up for, I mean, there's there's big things coming down the pipe for 14. So like, it's just a question of where does it all fit? 5-2 in February, 5-3 sometime in May, May June, E3-esque. That's where we predicted it's coming to Xbox at that time with the with mm-hmm. whenever that kind of rework story at least the announcement oh uh, uh, yeah like here's the date could come with 6.0 right oh man if they make me wait for that long it's like at least we got it but it's like we got it no way anyway living along the um but then the <laughs> other the other side of it liz i'm have been following on the new world mmo from the amazon game studios uh and it's like that that beta starts in april the game launches in may it's like 2020 is shaping up to be it could be probably one of the better best years in gaming especially coming off I, what i feel coming 2019 was fine I just felt that there's just a lot of drama like within the communities uh, around gaming. And so hopefully 2020 is just something where it's like, good game, good game, good game, good game. Everybody's like, this is the best year. Um, what are you most looking forward to uh, this year in 2020? We talked about a handful, but uh, do you have anything on your radar? Anything else at least? I mean, gosh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much. All the MMOs are having new stuff. Mm-hmm. I am curious, uh, Chris, I 
I have not played WoW for a very long time, but I do have an interest in seeing what happens with Shadowlands. I don't know if I will play it myself, but I think this is a really pivotal time for Blizzard trying to figure out what they're going to do as they sort of set precedent, if they're going to continue doing expansions, what are they going to offer, and what what they do this year I think is going to be really interesting. Um, I'm also actually, for the first time literally ever, because I do not play, nor have I really ever played League of Legends. I just don't particularly like MOBAs. And I've tried over and over because I know a lot yeah. of people who play them and love them and I love the strategy in them. But anytime I sit down to play them, I just can't, I cannot seem to really find my passion with them. But I'm actually really excited and interested in some of the single player projects that are coming out dovetailing off of League this year which I was not expecting. I mean, they've got like a TV show coming yeah. out. They've got these new single play, like, so I'm actually kind of bizarrely excited for that in a sense, because I'm hoping it'll connect me to some of what people love about those games in a way that I can also really love. So I'm curious, but other than those, I mean, there's the big one, Cyberpunk. I'm so excited for, we are yeah. just now doing a replay of The Witcher. And if I might, I'd say PC would be a really good bet for you because- That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah, they do tend, they tend to really optimize, at least if we're looking at The Witcher 3 as a precedent. Yeah. That game is amazing on PC, and I originally played it on PlayStation, so I mean, I think you'll be great no matter what, because I loved it there, but yeah. um, I'm excited. I think Cyberpunk will be great, and plus there's always great mods and all sorts of stuff that happens as well for those games on PC, and the graphics are just gorgeous. So I think that'll be really good. Animal Crossing, I'm really excited about. Anything coming with 14, excited about. Guild Wars 2, I think we have some really exciting things on the horizon for, so I'm also... Talk to me about that, Talk because um, I love Guild Wars 2. That's actually one of the things is like, oh, she plays Guild Wars? Uh, <laughs> and Guild Wars is the game for me that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I wish among everything else you take, like, if I could take one feature from 14, it would be the controller support. I, I And in my mind, and that's where I, I struggle with Guild Wars, because I, go, I look at it, I go, do it. Like... Please, <laughs> and because I would spend I would spend so much time in Guild because it's a comfort level for thing for me. Yeah, yeah. I work on computer keyboard all day, so I don't need to rehash that for the for the workforce. But I, I it's just like I want to play a game. I want to hold a controller. That's just this weird thing about myself. Well, like what's going on with Guild Wars Two? Because I've also heard a lot of like layoffs and people are like, "What's the future with this game? Is it a good time to jump into Guild Wars in 2020? Should I come back?" 100%. And I think that it's it's tough because, I mean, just talking about Blizzard, right? Yeah. Games, and especially MMOs, go through these cycles where there is a need to develop and push forward. And I mean, when you look at the Guild Wars franchise, it it's actually really amazing. It had a very unique start. It, it was this genre-defying kind of game that was somehow a hybrid between a fantasy single-player RPG and MMO-like capabilities where you could go in and do these adventures. You could explore these maps with your party, with your friends, with people. And it's such an amazing history in this game that really makes it unique. And yes, I wish so much that they had controller support. I wish it was on console because I think the game would play amazingly on console. It really, it has that flow, mm -hmm. it has that quick pace, the smaller skill bars, but you're rotating between weapons. All of that I think is really conducive to console. But because it started as a PC title and when they, you know, initially relaunched into Guild Wars 2, I don't think there was quite as much of a push for the idea of a like, truly cross-platform game in the same way that now we're seeing with MMOs, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of MMOs are starting to talk about 
well, if we want the most players and we want the least amount of walls between players, we need to make it truly cross-play, right? Yeah, we need to exactly. have at least cross-platform, if not really 100% crossover cross-play. I told um, you guys that she knows what she's talking about. Like, that's where I was like, <laughs> she is on point. At least with everything, but, like we were in a complete alignment on agreement. Like, no, I totally agree with you. When we were talking <laughs> over on Aetherite Radio, I was like, yes, 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 yes. But it's so true. It was just a different sort of time. So I think that Guild Wars 2 is looking ahead to a big future. And around the same time that a lot of other studios were experiencing a lot of cuts, Guild Wars 2 took some pretty massive ones as well. But yeah. since then, they've been rebuilding the studio. I really think that although the hardcore community has been criticizing a lot of the story content that's been coming out in the sense of, the game has taken more of a focus with story. Um, I really think that the narrative department is just growing this story into something really beautiful and really unique. And more and more we're seeing people want that from games. I mean, Final Fantasy, Shadowbringers was an X-Pack that's been lauded like no other because of that fact. You yeah. don't have to have a division between an MMO and a narrative game, they can give you that experience over the course of years of your life, which is amazing. And then completely <laughs> ignored at the Game Awards for music. I don't know why. Ripped Sorry. off. No, it's, <sighs> yeah, it, anyway. it's amazing. But I think Guild Wars 2, we have some big things coming and it's just finding patience and understanding as a community because there are a lot of long-term players that have been voicing frustration. Mm -hmm. Some of it good. But other times, I mean, we like just we just pile on that negativity train, which is where I think a lot of this bad sort of connotation with Guild Wars 2 has come in. A lot of fear mongering and naysaying and disregard for some of the things that the game does bring to the table that right. are really in the genre. So. Yeah, Chris, uh, how about you, man? What are you most looking forward to this year alone? You've shared privately with me like your plans, and uh, they're I think they're pretty epic. Why don't you tell the world what you're what you're excited about and working on? I mean, I, I will say that I share your frustration with not liking MOBAs. Like, I don't know if you remember that episode of Friends where uh, Rachel, I think it was Rachel, gets the two pages stuck together and she makes that dessert that's like half meat and half like jelly and whipped cream. And they're all faking liking it. And Joey's like, no, what's not to like? Like meat, good. Whipped cream, good. And it's like, that's how I feel about MOBAs. Like every ingredient is there and then I just don't like it. And like, I try it over and over because my brothers adore them and I adore yeah. spending time with my brothers on video games. And every time they're like, well, this one's different. This one's not a MOBA. It's always a MOBA, <laughs> like it's always a MOBA. And I have been tricked into trying, I don't know, a dozen of these. I've tried everything from little tiny ones up to the big ones that have lasted forever. Um, I first tried them back on when they were custom games in Warcraft 3, like they, they have never tasted better it has always been the same game and it's so frustrating to not enjoy like overwatch more to not enjoy like i want to like those games and i just don't um what i'm most looking forward to this year is halo infinite like it, it's halo 5 has held up so long and i know a lot of people didn't like it at launch i didn't watch a lot of hype going in and so like i actually really enjoyed the halo 5 launch because it's, like well, everybody it was an expectation issue so people is. like i literally only watch trailers and reviews and all of that until i make the decision to purchase and after that like it can't get better so i just i just <laughs> stop and so i was in very early on they were like hey there's gonna be a fifth one i was i'm in and then that's it and i didn't see anything other than the number five and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the story, the multiplayer. Like I still play it at least once a week. Yeah. Um, what has it been? Six years, and I'm still playing Halo Five. We're playing it tonight. 
<laughs> I played my very first Halo game of all time at the end of last year with the PC release of Halo Reach. Reach. Yeah. So yeah. You did, the, did you yeah. do Game Pass and the whole collection thing? Or yeah. You... So we're going to yeah. be doing every single one. And I couldn't believe how much I loved that game. Like, I think for most of my life, I had just kind of assumed, you know, growing up, a lot of my friends kind of played Halo, but I never really played with them. I was too busy off in RPG land and like... I mean, I never thought that they would have so much story and lore and such an amazing sci-fi world. And then we played Reach and I'm like in tears, but I'm also periodically cackling because I'm like tossing my teammate, one of my moderators off a cliff in our like, you know, in our vehicle. I'm terrible at everything, but it was such a blast even now coming in as a brand new player. Yeah. It's and so good. I have, I have hopes that it's uh, with the name and what they do with it, that it's they supported five for a long time where every month there was a big content drop. My hope is that with this, it is that games as a service halo. I don't need a FIFA every year. I don't need these, like these annualized games every year. Heck, you could even apply this to call of duty. Just continue to evolve the game. That I think is what really is the strength of the games as a service model. Um, if it's the last one. I hope, I hope so. Meaning that they could always continue to add story. They could always continue to add, that stuff into this core game that people can experience and enjoy. That's what I, I mean, like ultimately maybe adds, that becomes a problem. Halo but, 5 added to new playlists all the time. They'll have this whole week where it's like play Halo 2 inside right. of Halo 5. They give you all <laughs> but what the if they had another? Outs, it's all the original. Right. But what if they had another chapter to uh, the single player, like the campaign? Like, hey guys, this week, like, hey, it's a whole new thing. And it's like, there's a, there's like, because the, the world and the universe of Halo is so rich. It is so ready to be, uh, you know, just like explored beyond just that of the Master Chief. And Infinity could do that. You could get your Master Chief, but then you could also have your personal Spartan in which that you are now going on these adventurers in this universe, working with the Covenant, working against, like there is the, and, and that in and of its, is what I hope for it. And that the problem is just to your same concept of expectation. What if that, you know, like I could set myself up to be upset, like, Pokemon's another great example. I've been playing that with with Maddie. I didn't follow it. I said, "All right, new Pokemon Switch, I'm in." Got it. Her and I played it, and then I go online, and people are losing their minds. And then I, I sympathize with the frustration. I sympathize with Dexit. But then I'm sitting here and playing with Maddie, and she has no concept that there are missing Pokemon. And so it's like the closeness to the game or whatever. I think is that's where, like with Chris, like completely oblivious to the fact that people really didn't enjoy it. And that ends up like not impacting his view of it. He it gives him a completely un like unbiased from his perspective view. And I think that's in something interesting about um, social media. Chris, do you have anything uh, else you're looking forward to in 2020 before we uh, just? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to get into Final Fantasy VII. I would love to get into Cyberpunk. Um, 14 is going to have a great year. I'm yeah. most interested in the ARR squish because the biggest barrier to entry with with 14 right now is ARR. Um, and the reason that they can't give out skip potions is there isn't a way to go back. And so they don't want to take away something and not be able to give it back to you. If you realize later, oh my gosh, I love this game right? and I want the story back. So getting new game plus to be a complete system, um, really opens up the door to start maybe giving out a skip potion with 6.0 saying, Hey, if you want to start at level one, you can, and it's not 400 hours. It's not <laughs> 600. Like that's ridiculous. And then, I mean, and then play WoW. I mean, Classic is interesting and Shadowlands looks fantastic. We just got 8.3 yesterday as of this recording. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm still not done with the story because it's like six hours of, of MSQ type content. So to anybody who hasn't played WoW in a while, if you think there's not story, it's a ridiculous amount of story with cutscenes and different quests that you have to go off and you're walking along these quest givers and it's and there's just as much of the complaining about like, oh, I wish it was all voice acted and it's not. It, it, it feels a lot like a 14 patch day um, that I'm going through all this story, but I'm having a blast and I'm most Shadowlands looks like they're going to fix a lot of the core issues with why I don't like WoW as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really trying to stay on and like stay focused and get some things that I want to have done in time so that I can really enjoy Shadowlands just in case it turns out to be incredible. I really hope it is. I'd like to see them, you know, kind of really come back after, after BFA. I think classic is really what people have gravitated towards. Uh, because it speaks to what I think people really like love about that game. And hopefully they can, you know, the industry as a whole can look at it and say, oh, okay. Because the other things that have happened over the last decade is streaming has become this huge thing. And that ends up taking communities beyond just the game itself. But it's truly fascinating. And so let's uh, let's drive in uh, or drive, yeah, dive in, drive in uh, to content creation, obviously, with RPGs here. Rook, what specifically, A, got you into streaming and you know why twitch like uh like what was that what was that T talk to me about that it was sort of a long i mean just a long history it's it's so interesting to me because when i think back on most of my life and maybe both of you have had similar experiences but growing up either with somebody that was a friend that you gamed with or in my case my dad who was really big into games and the fact that games have always been a social medium for me. Yeah. I mean, whether or not you play MMOs, I mean, MMOs in and of themselves are essentially a social involvement of, you know, a video game, which is incredible. But I always had these moments in my life where there were these incredible games that I played with people that I cared about. Mm -hmm. And through all of that, I ended up going into theater and the arts. So I actually went to uh, Indiana University for voice and theater and did a double major there and went on to study a lot of that. And throughout all of this, it just literally never crossed my mind that the idea of something like Twitch would exist, you know? Yeah. We'd do playthroughs with friends on our couch, we'd get together, we did all the Mass Effect games, we'd do all the Elder Scrolls games, we'd, we'd hang out, we'd joke, we'd laugh, we'd have these amazing times. And then um, when I came out of school and I ended up moving up here to the Chicago area, uh, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, said to me in passing, have you heard of Twitch? I think you would be really amazing at it. And yeah. I went, no, tell me more. And so we started watching. It was funny at the time, I was really big into playing Overwatch. And I I hadn't come from a history of playing a lot of shooter games. I never played Team Fortress. I never, you know, as far as those like competitive team play kind of shooters went. Yeah. But I fell in love with Overwatch's world and characters. So we started watching competitive Overwatch. And then I got really interested in all the people and how they were streaming and what they were doing and the people they were connecting with. Um, because I used to always say if there was one thing I could do with my acting, it was that I wanted to be able to make a difference to people. I wanted to affect them really directly in a way yeah. that would, you know, matter to them and stay with them. And that I would love to be a part of the like fan culture. You know, I was like, one day, hopefully I can go to a convention and be on a panel. That would be my dream. You know, like, I hope that happens was, for you. I really do. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's there's so much happening this year and some big stuff and I'm really excited and it's been amazing seeing it take off. And I think so many other people related to that, that when I started streaming, you know, it was just a steady build from there. And now we are 
going on our third year and it has just been incredible to see the power of connecting with people and playing with people and getting to share that now across the world instead of just on our couch and really foster community, which is amazing. So I, I would say that I even had that. I, I've never really played a single player game because I've always played them with a friend. Like it's like as we even go through Final Fantasy, it's like it was always me and a friend and we would always play those games together. And so like gaming has always been a social experience. And so when he said it that way, I completely agree. And you know, my wife likes it. You know, we play games together, but she also likes it because like even if, if we're not gaming together that night, that it's like, oh, I'm not out at the bars, you know, like she doesn't yeah. lose me for like hours and I'm just like, okay, I'm back and, you know, or whatever. It's like, no, this is, this is that social, that, that, that outlet that you, that you get. And it's such an interesting medium in which that you can hang out with, you know, a hundred thousand, like thousands of people and be making jokes, having an, a shared experience, playing a game and having hopefully a good time. Um, so, uh, from your theater major though, that's really, that's really quite interesting. Cause I, I did the, I didn't major in it, but I did theater. Uh, and acting how how would you say that like does that has that given you like an like do you feel like an edge in in terms of how you will make your streams more presentable or more engaging um what do you think oh 100 percent. i i think that it's amazing because streaming really brings together multiple facets of skill right so i mean there are a lot of different ways that you can become a content creator or create a brand as people are always talking about right a brand a brand right but your brand is really essentially an extension of those things about yourself that people connect to relate to or respond to so the idea is that you are looking for something that you can share with others yeah. and that that will draw them in so maybe you're a really technically skilled player you are incredibly good at that. And so people are going, I also want to be a technically skilled player or connect with people who are like that. So I'm going to watch. Maybe you're somebody who has a really great natural rep, you know, just sort of rep back and forth with people. You converse well with people. You remember people. You, you know, can make a space feel welcoming. That in of itself is a different style. Um, there's so many different sorts of ways that you can get into it. And then behind all of that, you need to have technical skill to just get things set up running troubleshoot deal with things do social media like it's just a lot of stuff to process and it's so would you classify streaming as work oh 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's so funny to me when people say that streaming isn't a real job i mean it depends on what you want to get out of streaming right yeah. but it requires a skill set and it requires dedication to grow and it's amazing to me because all of the things that I studied in theater school and all of the networking and, and the discussions of, you know, like rehearsals and prep and, and, you know, when you're live and you're on and you're really putting yourself out there, all of that is in streaming. And I think that people forget. So usually if people say something to me like, I want to get better at this, I will suggest like take an acting class or maybe buff up your tech skills. Or, I mean, there's so many ways to sort of build who you are and how you communicate through a lot of different mediums on Twitch. So how do you, so, I mean, obviously people just think about streaming as like, oh, well, you're just playing games for a living or you're just, right? That That's that's the obvious way to just simplify it down to the point where it just skips over everything you just said. But I mean, it is the core content. It is the core piece of it. So like when you take that much thought into how you're presented and that much thought into how you bring the right energy and how you bring the right technology and all of that, how do you then lay that in to decide what games to play, when you should be switching games? Like when you look mm -hmm. out over 2020 and you look back on 2019, how do you know where you could have done it better and, and learn from that? 
there's that's such a good question it's such a huge question too uh because there's a lot of great resources out there right now i mean for anybody who's curious just about getting a foothold on twitch right Mm -hmm. so i mean initially when you're just starting a stream it's a it's a lot different it's it's very different than when you have some sort of established audience that you can actually measure feedback and numbers and get verbal feedback from and you know have an idea from right right but when you're first starting out i think it's really about finding something that you love that you can play a lot even if nobody's there but that and this has been a big topic lately isn't necessarily a flooded directory right so the idea that if a lot of people are playing a game it doesn't necessarily mean that as a broadcaster that game is going to be valuable for you to stream just because it's popular right it's the kind of thing where you want to find people who will connect to you but if those people are having to scroll through 50 million pages just to find you they probably won't right they're gonna people will always take the shortest route and this is something that i learned when i was doing a lot of customer service stuff and i eventually worked in the library system while i was you know studying and acting and all sorts of things you always want to essentially give yourself the best opportunity so that if somebody takes that shortest route, they will be able to find you. So when I first started streaming, I actually streamed a lot of Overwatch. And that's terrible. It's a bad decision. And it's a very flooded directory. And it was, I mean, it was great because I loved the game and I did find some of the people who are still in our community to this day. But it's much harder to be seen and to be noticed and to snag somebody like that. So you see a lot of people talking about like smaller directories that are popular and have a niche interest, like Life is Strange or these sorts of things, right? Um, But I think that where my stream really started to get into the idea of MMOs and variety is when it really became what it would be. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that was something that was a bit of a risk because I was talking to my husband and I remember saying to him, I started playing Final Fantasy 14 and I love it. And it's one of my favorite games. I want to broadcast it to everybody. And he said, nobody wants to watch an MMO. And I went, oh, really? (laughs) And the thing was, he wasn't totally wrong at that point because MMO directories have really grown in the last couple years it was not something that people initially like you see a lot of competitive pvp Mm -hmm. you see a lot of games that have professional players that are leading the push on things like streaming services and mmos are something that has just more recently really started to take off when it came to streaming and watching and community building so i took a risk and i went into it and since then it's been the kind of thing where um i really try to gradually introduce games to stream Mm -hmm. So, you know, we started with 14, we built an audience there, a community. We had people who loved it. Then we started, I started to look for overlapping interests. Are there games that this community are interested in that overlap with my own interests? So that started branching into other MMOs, things like Guild Wars 2, which ended up being a huge love for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like our single players. We even did some classic SNESs. I played Chrono Trigger for the first time. Oh, good choice. I was, oh my gosh, I cried so hard and I still cry every time I listen to the soundtrack and I remember every moment of our playthrough, but we did modern games, we did Assassin's Creed, which, I mean, all sorts of stuff, right? And I really just used, I mean, statistics on Twitch are something that people don't like to talk about because it makes it seem as though people are just a number. And for me, they never are, mm-hmm. but those numbers can be something that helps you. So I always tell people, look over a course of time, like a month or something like that, give yourself a wide snapshot of how people are responding to something and then see if there's a future for building it. That's the very long explanation. But um, the games that we play now that are our regulars are games that 
our community showed love and trust passion for and that resonated with people and that I love personally myself mm -hmm. and that showed a long-term possibility for growth. Um, and then we do other stuff for fun. And that's you know? the goal. Like the goal is to hopefully be <laughs> like have fun and uh, and really connect with just people out there in the world. That's that's a beautiful sentiment. You brought up 14, uh, obviously, as kind of the question, and your husband uh, shot it down in that way. It's like, what are you talking about? And what what originally drew you to that, uh, the, you know, the game itself? So what, what point, what patch was that that, you know, you're sitting here like, I'm going to play 14 and I want to broadcast it? Yeah, it was right at the beginning of the patch cycle for Heaven Sword. Okay. Yeah. And my husband and I had been playing WoW because I had never played it. So we went through every single expansion. Nobody does this. Chris, nobody does this. Like, everybody skips to the end now. But when we started playing it, I was coming from single players. And I looked him in the eye and I went, but then how will I know the story? <laughs> and he was Are like, Are you Horde? <laughs> we are. We, well, we have one on both. So we have horde, one on both. hordes in, is particularly hard because you would literally not know who your war chief is. Like if I you know. play the first half of each expansion, you'd get to the end and you'd be like, "But where did you come from? Who is this person? Like you just kind of showed up. Yeah, you were in a dungeon like two expansions ago, and now you're in charge. And of course, for my husband, um, I mean, he loves MMOs and he's really passionate about them. And yeah. for him. You know, it was such an amazing experience because we went through everything. Here I am, this tiny noob. I didn't even know what AOE meant. I didn't even know. Like, I mean, it's so astonishing to me. I'm like a grown adult and I've played games my entire life and mm -hmm. I don't even know how MMOs work, you know? So we played through everything and it was incredible. Like hearing his memories, his history, his discussion about, oh yeah, well, when I was 10 and I was in this zone and then this happened and I was this <laughs> guild, I met these people and we did every single thing. We went through all the old raids. We did every dungeon. We would walk up to them and go to the dungeon. Like it was, we were meticulous about it. It was pretty crazy. Um, and honestly, it was one of my favorite MMO memories. So. I started exploring other MMOs on my own because I realized that I was in love with the genre, with mm -hmm. the fact that people and history and memories and story and narrative and creativity from the side of developers can meet in this just unprecedented way in this genre. And so I started playing a ton on my own. I, I went into Switch War, I loved the story there because I was a big Bioware fan. I went into a whole bunch of others. And in that time I picked up Final Fantasy XIV and these memories of playing Final Fantasy VIII with my dad, these memories of falling in love with narrative games for the first time with yeah. just this, I mean, it's magic, it's magic. And eight was the very first long RPG that I remember the cutscenes and the characters. It felt like the books that I loved had become real mm -hmm. and I was part, I was living them. And so, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy just, it, the 14 experience drew me into that and I felt like I was a kid again and yeah. I felt so passionate about playing it and and doing it on stream that you know I, I said to my husband I was like I really appreciate and value everything that you say and you have really good advice but I think in this one case I'm gonna ignore it <laughs> you've uh, if you I'm gonna ask kind of more of on a personal question if you don't mind because you brought up your father a couple of times and how that was pivotal to your relationship you also came up in an era and hopefully that era or that that mindset is changing among gaming culture in which that women aren't allowed. You know, like, I don't know if you've run into that. How pivotal, pivotal, uh, <laughs> I guess, like, how important was that relationship, with, especially with gaming, to your father? And how uh, did that help 
prepare you obviously for this this world of streaming especially because I, I don't know if you get like trolls but I think everybody does and they want to discount you for any reason I uh, they discount anybody and obviously you being a female would be something that I would think somebody would say oh you're a girl what do you know uh, do you mind answering that question because it oh, just came yeah. to my mind <laughs> I mean yeah no we get it all the time it I mean it's <laughs> I think it's not surprising to me but over time, and especially once I got into streaming, I think I became even more appreciative than I already was of the fact that, with my dad at least, there was never a question of it. I, I mean, it's just, it's so funny to me, right? Yeah. He loved them. He wanted to share that love. And I remember him going out of his way to find games that had female protagonists, which wasn't always easy, uh, especially back then, you know? Yeah. But we played like Beyond Good and Evil, so I was super excited when I heard there was a remake of that coming out because it is horrible to look at now, but it's such a good game. Yeah. I mean, these games that had these incredible Tomb Raider, we played every Tomb Raider and Laura Croft was like my hero, you know? I mean, any game that had a female protagonist, he would go out of his way to find for me. Or if we were playing things like Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate, the new one, also Larian Studios, very excited. Um, but it's one of those things where I never felt as though there were a barrier. So it was surprising to me that when I came into a space later as an adult, that is about our love of games at its heart, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That there were so many people who didn't want to pass that love. And I mean, that goes for everything, whether it's, it's young players that are in a game. I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes they drive you nuts, but like, gosh, if I didn't have somebody that had said to me when I was young, hey, it's okay that you're a big dweebus and like you are loved and welcomed into this space. I mean, I don't know what I would have done for a lot of years of my life where games really became something so massively important to me and, and got me through. Yeah. And the same goes for, I mean, people of any sexuality, gender, different, any difference in the gaming space. It's so wild to me that people become so obsessed and consumed with the idea of who is or isn't allowed in those spaces or what characters should or shouldn't be or what franchises should or shouldn't do based off of those, those parameters. So yeah, I deal with trolls, but I think when it came down to it, I just decided, you know, it's more important to me to focus on the love and share that love, to connect with people in a way that is about what makes games great and the creative process great, and to try to encourage people to focus on that in a space that can just become a troll salt bomb where people spend more time, like you were saying, berating mm -hmm. the new Pokemon game than they do playing just it. getting it and playing it yeah. and just seeing for themselves what they think of it and what it has to offer both good and bad. So that's, yeah. that's kind of my mentality. I don't want to discount those that are like upset either. Cause it's like, it, I like to try to look at it with a fine tooth comb, like analyze the, almost the human psychology behind it. Because there are people who like it within gaming, I would say it's a very passion driven space. Like your passion comes through um, easily. It just bleeds like I, the, the love there. And there's a love that is, is so true within gaming that can break down all kinds of walls and barriers. Like, like it doesn't matter if we agree on anything, but we can talk about games. Like we can sit here and just like, you know, almost in a way, like have a loving relationship, you know, that is just primarily like about like playing games together. Chris has talked about this numerous times 
uh, you know, like having a disagreement with a friend on a certain, you know, like on a certain, you know, item and, oh, nope, we're, we're still playing these games together. And it's like, that's where we can, like, even if there's something in the world that's just like, like, oh, you know, we can't always agree on everything, but then they have the side of it. I, I look at it as there's people who are looking for a community and that's where I think this kind of bleeds over and becomes that viralness of it, you know, that sense that. <laughs> I'm attaching myself to this frustration because like I am frustrated and I might not be personally frustrated at that or planning on playing it, but there's a community of frustrate frustration here and people are going to attach to that. And thus it, and thus that grows. And I've seen that. And that's where I was like, when I looked at it, it's like, are I've always wondered like, well, are you really frustrated about Pokemon or are you wanting to be included in the 20, you know, whatever the frustration is for gamers in 2019. So it's yeah, really we play <laughs> we play a fun game on my stream where whenever somebody comes in with something that I know is like a uh, a key phrase hot phrase, and mm. there are a million of these, the thing that you see on Twitter that everyone yells about and uses to like condense a problem down to something that literally has nothing to do with anything about the actual original discussion or problem, but it's like here is the phrase, right? The thing. I don't like politics in my game. I don't like you know whatever these things are, right? Right. Um, and I always try to just say to people, in your own words, what was your experience? What did you like? What didn't you like? What do you think could be improved? What do you think they did well? It's it's so funny because going back to like Guild Wars 2, like we were talking about earlier, recently, this is such a silly example, but here it is. Yeah. They released a cape in the gem store. And capes were something from Guild Wars 1 that a lot of players really enjoyed, but that hasn't been in Guild Wars 2. Mm -hmm. And suddenly in the, the Twitter responses underneath this cape announcement, you see just this onslaught of people like, oh, of course they introduced capes, but now they're only gem. And I still can't even get a cape that has my guild symbol on it. Can't even get a cape that has a guild symbol. And everybody is just losing their minds. And then somebody points out, you have been able to get a cape with the guild symbol since the guild halls came out. You just have to go to the guild hall and get the cape with the guild symbol. In game, you can get it. It's been in there for years. And suddenly everybody's like, but it's not a real cape. And they're like, no, it's a cape that you can get from the, you know, it's funny because yeah. I think we shut our minds down with that kind of thing. And it can go either way, right? It mm -hmm. can be excessive blind praise and it can be excessive blind criticism. <laughs> the, the detail, the understanding that really makes you, I think, a, an observant and a critical but balanced gamer is when you're able to weigh both. I mean, you can say like a game might have flaws, but there might also be great things. Yeah. Um, and if you just blind yourself, you are going to look more ignorant than anything. And it and it's about trying to keep yourself open to those discussions, even if you feel like your knee jerk is to pile onto something. I think I think naturally from the human perspective, we all have that knee jerk. And the question <laughs> is, is that after you have that. And then you go, all right, let me think about this. Like, let, let me process this a little bit more and then speak. The problem is, is that like when you bring up Twitter, I mean, we're incentivized to, to speak first, then think. And then that's why the, I, I guess the apology videos are typically like some of the, like the most viewed stuff. It's like, all right, guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then and then you have a hot take, hot take reaction to the, your apology, to your apology. Like, okay, guys, I totally <laughs> missed this, this one thing. Um, Chris, I'm gonna let you ask the next question. 
Um, so you've, you spoke about the importance of gaming and, and a lot of that has to deal with like your relationship with games and the relationship with the people around you. Like my, my brothers, so much of my experience, like with Baldur's Gate and stuff is defined around the fact that there was one computer in the house yes. It lived in the kitchen and there were multiple of us. I come from a big family and we all wanted time. And so it was literally timed by the oven clock. You just had to get up, save or no save, like you're done. So like, and you it, it defined the way i enjoy games it probably is why i skip cutscenes in so many games because it's just like i gotta get to the gameplay <laughs> like, i'm on the clock and it's something i'm having to like now in my 30s go back and try to correct is like how do i go back and enjoy games uh at a more reasonable pace because nobody's kicking me out here like i can stay up as late as i want um and i'm the only person that uses this whole room in my house that just has consoles and and but when you go to sh experience that, like the SNES or 14 in particular, one of the issues is like, now you have to deal with on streaming backseat gamers and you have to deal with when do you, when do you feel okay sharing content? When do you feel okay talking about things? Mm -hmm. Shadowbringers in particular, streaming numbers went down. There were there was nobody who was out there watching it because they didn't want to get spoiled. How do you decide when something's spoilery, when you can share something, and how do you avoid being spoiled if you go back and play something and people are just excited like, oh, wait till the next part. It's a huge question. And it's funny that you bring that up about Final Fantasy because it's really on a community per community basis. The Guild Wars 2 community loves day of playthroughs, which was really startling to me when I first started doing it. But mm -hmm. I think there have been a lot of really wonderful people in those communities. Um, People like Aurora Peachy, who's an incredible broadcaster, who started the idea of these like, you know, reactions and let's plays and really, really, really did like day one stuff that made the community go, I want to be there when they play it. So whenever we play Guild Wars 2 stuff, we play it really current. You know, I'll do it like day of or maybe the second half of the day or the day after. Yeah. Final Fantasy is completely different people hoard their experience in that game. And I don't blame them because I hoard it a little bit. Like, it's so <laughs> funny to me because it is different when you play something live on stream. Um, your attention is placed in different places. I will find that playing a game by myself and then playing that exact same game on stream that we're playing right now are completely different experiences because on my personal playthrough, I enjoyed different things. On my live playthrough, I enjoyed different things. And it's almost like playing two different versions of the game in overlap, which is pretty incredible, right? Mm -hmm. But there's some things either way that I'll probably miss. Um, and it's interesting to do it in both. So like with Final Fantasy, the community, nobody wants those spoilers. And because the story yeah. is pretty long, people avoid it for almost like first week. So I used to do a lot of like day of streaming of the story, but eventually I went, you know what? I don't want people to feel bad that they can't be here. And I also don't want to wake up at 1 a.m. to skip every cutscene and like ruin my own experience, you know? So it creates an interesting. Yeah. And eventually, I think I decided, and something I'm working on this year, to do those playthroughs and then upload them to other sources where people can watch at their own pace. I hear, know? I hear a lot of people really have enjoyed people's reaction to the mm -hmm. uh, Shadowbringers as content down like now that like as more people play through it like people are like oh i want to see how other people reacted to and, and just see if they had that shared experience and so yeah. um i man like there, you just brought up kind of the idea of obviously uploading it to other sources and then the multiple forms of content creation 
Um, you know, in general, that's a whole topic for another day. I do. I yeah. want to. I want to. Let's get back Can into you kind see of the goosebumps. Like so much of the Shadowbringer is like it would have just been me staring at the screen, but you're not seeing like my heart flutter, and you're not seeing like the chills run down my arm. Yeah, just me going. <laughs> The perfect thumbnail face for YouTubers. <laughs> the um, okay, let's have some fun with it uh, as we as we kind of uh, near the end of the show here. We've got a, like I think eight minutes left ish uh, in our, in our, in this podcast. The uh, I want to say like what feature or whatever like uh, you know what thing from like any game that you played in 2019 would you take forward to all games with you going forward? Like where you're like, man, I love this X, and we see that happen from time to time with certain games where like a game will come along like World of Warcraft and kind of really define like here's the here's the minimum that you need to hit going forward. It was there anything in 2019 that stands out to you that you would uh, that you would pull forward uh, with games? Uh, uh, <laughs> this is so tough. This is we so asked the hard hitting questions here. <laughs> you know, I think I think in 2019 maybe even reaching a little, a little further back to maybe even 2018. I can't remember exactly where some of these games released the three big games for me that have, have really changed what I thought about gaming in mm-hmm. some kind of sense. Although there's yeah. been so many little indie titles that are doing incredible stuff. Please go check them out because it's unbelievable. Um, but the three big ones would probably be Shadowbringers as an expansion um the witcher 3 and then horizon zero dawn and those three for different reasons really made me look at particularly narrative in games because i'm I'm very passionate about narrative like that's right that is something that i love i do end game content i'm in ultimate but for me like fight design mechanics those things are all great but story is something that is never ending long lasting and stays with you and and i love it so for me shadowbringers i think proved that long form storytelling can have a payoff that is astonishing, right? Yeah. And that if we trust our players enough to play, would you say like 400, 600 hours the story, that you can over the course of that time create a, a pace of narrative that is unprecedented yeah. and that has a payoff that is unbelievable. I mean, like, Shadowbringers, whether you think it's hyped, overhyped, you think it was perfectly hyped, I don't know. Um, some people are going to have different experiences. But it's um, it's just really amazing to see that even in a game this many years in, rather than that being a detriment with story baggage, yeah. it has become something that has allowed them to develop a narrative that is surprising, fascinating, and takes turns we don't even expect, you know, which is really cool. So that was big for me with Shadowbringers. Um, I loved that, thought it was beautiful. And I love that it had a lead writer that is a woman who is just killing it and just nailing it. And she's doing so great. Um, uh, so amen then with the other. That. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yes. though. Like, Holy smokes. Hopefully, like, you take Shadowbringers <laughs> and, and just apply that level to Final Fantasy games, like, <laughs> yes. forward. Like, please keep on going. Yes, continue. Please. <laughs> um, then with The Witcher 3, I think The Witcher 3 finally was one of those games where open world has been such a concept, but for all the games that I've played and loved that were open world, The Witcher 3 was the first one where I went, oh my god, this is an open world. Like, and it felt that way. Um, the side quests, the the characters, the world, your choices and agency in it, even though you're playing a fixed character. Um, I mean, the narrative is gorgeous and it's amazing and it's unbelievable. I completed every single map marker because I just wanted every single second of the entire game. Um, and it, the world felt so real even. I mean, yeah. 
I can't believe how they did that. And as somebody who's also a big history nerd, I mean, even just going into the cities, the detail, the, the, I mean, it's right. mind boggling. Like I still go into games in 2019 going into 2020 where when i instance into a city it's like one street with a backdrop and the first time that i ran into a city in the witcher and i literally ran through the outskirts where people were making bricks using historical techniques to build the buildings in the city and they were dying like out in the outsides they were dying fabric for the people in giant vats and then you go across a bridge and into an entire city that is just there on the map like that was incredible to me especially coming from such a small small company to say you want open world we will make a world and you will live in it and yeah. i like, can't get over that. It was amazing. I want to see that in more games moving forward. And then with Horizon Zero Dawn, I think it was really about the innovation of the story. We have so many franchises that are the same over and over and over. We have so many things that are the same template or genre or niche. We have um, games based off of books. We have games based off of movies. We have games, you know. And to see this game, I remember the first trailer that I saw for it, and I looked at it, and I love dinosaurs, and I went... <laughs> Ro hold up. Robot. Dinosaur. Robot dinosaurs. Oh my goodness. I, I'm expecting dinosaurs. an HTZ, uh, I'm expecting an HTZ, like, uh, launch title for PS5. Uh, I hope so. Just how well so. that was received, it would be so cool to see that, because that would be so, such a system seller, in my, my opinion, from the praise that I continue yeah. to hear about it. To answer that question for me, like, if you, anybody's ever played, like, Dragon Quest Eleven, anytime you log back into that game, it says, previously on Dragon Quest, here's what's been going on. And it's so helpful because <laughs> outside of 14, and even with 14, like it's good and healthy and the game encourages you to take breaks from time to time. But my Final Fantasy play experience, with the exception of 15, always included a random six-month break around level 45 or 50. Like it's literally I could go and track that as a kid growing up. Like, hey, <laughs> I've, oh, 50, I'll be back in six months. And it never was planned. It was always like, think life happens, right? And with Dragon Quest, even every, every, every time, I actually really enjoyed the story summary because it was always like, this is what's happened. And I would love to see that like in like 14 alone, but also any like especially RPG. Just like, just tell me like what's going on because you don't know when I'm coming back to the game. Like, hey, this is what's happened since your last time you've logged in. That would be the, I, I think that's the feature that every RPG needs. Uh, Chris, do you have an answer to that question or is the siren still going off? <laughs> Yeah, sirens are still off. <laughs> oh, there we go. So first first Wednesday of the month, they test all the tornado sirens. So they, they hit it a little early this month. Uh, we'll see if they go again here in 15 minutes. So the um, I, I would say that Death Stranding's ability to impact other players. Um, yes. Death's, Death Stranding really just, there was all these little things that it literally felt like they're like, okay, how do we reinvent this? And usually that's a bad thing. Usually they take a working system and it's like, wow, how can we make matchmaking worse? And that's what it feels <laughs> like happens when they try to be too inventive. And Death Stranding was just a refreshing tweak on a system one after another after another. But that ability to like impact other players where there's almost this like, you oh like somebody left a road and now everybody else can drive down that road easier. Um, I thought was really fascinating. And the idea that as a game ages, that past players can kind of leave breadcrumbs for those previous players. Because when you go into an MMO experience, it's so easy 
week one to find groups and then when mm -hmm. you come in years later it's so hard and so like that ability to kind of leave a trail that new players can follow in um I don't know how other games would use it, but I would love to kind of see that impact games long-term. Right. Um, 14 and Classic shaped my 2019 as far as like experiences, but that's the feature I would go with. Uh, your passion for games is, is very refreshing, Rook. So the last question here, um, if you could take that passion and you could ask devs from everything you played in 2019, one thing that you wish they'd learn from, maybe avoid, maybe do better, uh, as we go into 2020, it's probably a little late. So do better in 2021. Uh, what, what would you, what would you pass along to them? Um, this is a hard one because I don't always feel like with, you know, what I understand of games, it's just on my end. It's a player experience, you know, yeah. it, it always drives me nuts when people try to give technical critique to devs and I'm like, are you a dev? Do you, okay. What are you doing there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, just press the flip the switch and, and, and give me the thing I want. Yeah, and it's never that easy, you know? Um, but I think for me, as somebody who deals a lot with the social end of gaming and the community feedback and discussion, and I'm, you know, always something happens in a community and I'm sitting there, you know, day of streaming, and I know we're going to have 50 people coming in that want to talk about whatever that thing was, right? Yeah. So I think for me, it's actually less about the devs specifically, although it is tied into them, and more about the way that we handle and like dispense information about games. I really want to see in 2020 transparency from a lot of studios and just better thought out reveal information, uh, things that they do in press tours, like communication with player bases, you know, roadmaps and understanding, because there's always this discussion of how much are we entitled to communicate to our players mm -hmm. but then we see these problems that are so massive in scope where companies i mean like look at no man's sky and all these things like companies are put in these positions and devs who are passionate about their games are put in these positions where they have to suddenly deal with the dissemination of information on the internet and worldwide in a way that is unbelievable and mm -hmm. unprecedented right and so having clear communication having this connection between what we are actually doing and can accomplish and what we are saying to the audience, I think is going to be huge as opposed to like marketing people making a bunch of big promises about stuff that may or may not even happen that then doesn't happen. And then people are mad, you know, it's, I think a lot of it for me is that I think 2020 is going to be a huge year for community management teams, PR and the devs who are creating these amazing things being able to learn how to more efficiently communicate, discuss, and foster communities that focus on what they are doing that mm -hmm. is great. And that's not an easy, it's not an easy thing, right? Right. Um, but I think some of that also ties into our discussion previously about like seven and, and you know, delays of games and stuff like that. Like, I am so okay with delays. Our devs are being overworked. Studios are destroying them. Games are coming out that aren't released just for profit margins and trying to get in in certain, you know, quarters of the year. So let's get good communication. Let's actually open up those lines between devs and the people who are advertising and let's see what we can do to just have a better communication for 2020. You promised That's... what to who and by when? I know. I've been in those meetings and it's like... <laughs> Are air. you doing this work? Because <laughs> you just committed us to nine months of work in two weeks. Are yeah, you hanging yeah. out with us tonight? Because are you ordering the pizza? 
<laughs> How about both of you? What are your yeah. what are your sort of uh, desires leading into 2020 for devs? Chris. Uh, for 2019 specifically, the, the two standout games in in my world, especially from like what we put out on YouTube, I would say are 14 and WoW Classic. And they are two different sides of the same coin. Like they couldn't be more different. And, um, but they both reminded me <clears throat> the importance of like, just make the game you want to make. Like don't, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to expand the scope. Like Classic just needed to be Classic. It didn't need all the newfangled features. And 14 feels like, the first time that all the cylinders are lined up and 14 just became its own MMO. There's been so many other times where it's like, oh, well, we got to fix all the crap from 1.0 mm -hmm. and we've got to build in all these features because this is the hot trend. And they just said, no, we're just going to do it our way. And they got something like what will end up likely being genre defining out of it. Um, just make the game you want to make, like sit down and they hire these devs. Don't, don't worry about market research and all that. Like you hire the devs based on all that, but now just let the devs do their job. You picked them, trust them. Let's see what they have. Yeah, I think Chris and I are pretty much in alignment on that. My view of game development and the games that stand out, man, my throat's also, <laughs> and the games that stand out uh, to me the most are when leadership empowers the creative passion of the developers. Uh, software engineer world, I make you know more money than a game developer because that's just how business works. The reason why that that game developer could come work in the business side of it and make twice as much. Why don't they? Because they have a huge passion for creating games and where those where that where, that, where those shine. Yeah, there's market research. There's, it, you need to have an understanding of what five and ten years from now is going to look like. Otherwise, you don't want to start a game, eh, a game uh, that's three plus years of development and and come out the other end and realize. Oh, that that system no longer exists. You know, it's like like here's here's the, the laws of of business. But but to empower the devs to be creative, and so like Chris said, like to trust your devs on their regards, and that takes a I think that takes a strong leader, and I think we've seen that at fourteen with Yoshi P. I think we've seen that in a, in several other games when you look at CD Projekt Red, um, like as a develop like there are definitely some development firms that stand out, and we've also seen the opposite of that, like with Anthem within twenty nineteen. In which that you go look in the leadership, there was no leadership, and so the devs were all just like, "What are we building?" And that's no, 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 no. Like they want to build something. They like everybody, every you know person who's working in that is there because they love games and they want to make games. And so if you can have a strong, uh, strong leadership, and you can have um, uh, that also a leadership and a leader that knows when to get out of the way and let the people they hired do the job that they want to do, um, I think that that's where that that pays out, you know, tenfold. Or all of a sudden, because then that resonates with gamers, because that's what resonates with gamers. When somebody like, oh man, I can't believe they, they thought to do that, like they went above and beyond. Like, oh yeah, I can't believe they somebody took the time to animate somebody dying cloth. You know, it's like that <laughs> that adds to my immersion. Yeah. And so um, nobody wanted Disco Elysium. That wasn't on the request list. We got it because somebody wanted to make it, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, I mean, that's, Untitled Goose Game is another one. Yeah, Goose Game, that's one from this past year that was really amazing. It's, it yeah. shines, it shines, and it's like <laughs> yeah, because they, they think and they're like, yeah, how can I do that? So, uh, Rook, where can people find you? What do you what you got uh, working? Uh, what you working on? And uh, what do you want to share with the world? 
Yeah, so you can always find me uh, live usually five days a week on twitch.tv Bird of Chess. Uh, we're getting back into it after the new year and a whole bunch of craziness, but uh, we've been working through our Witcher 3 playthrough and like we said, the MMOs that we always play and love there. Uh, but you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bird of Chess is me. And this year we are working on developing a bunch of stuff for YouTube that's been in the works. So I'm very excited to start working on that and get out more information to everybody as we uh, sort of transfer over and add some more content to that medium when we're not live uh we're also doing some big convention circuits this year so if anybody's at any fun conventions and you're around be sure to let me know i'm going to be saying hey to a lot of people and uh, it's going to be great doing some filming at those events as well so excellent fan fest fan fest yes i'm gonna be there for sure <laughs> well we definitely have to get you back on the podcast and hopefully we can all do some collab stuff uh out of fan fest as well we had a lot of fun doing that uh last time and uh for those who don't know uh, we don't actually know where fan fest is gonna be this year um they want to make it bigger and uh, so we might be going to California. Who knows? We'll have to see. Um, that would be my guess. If they're going to do something bigger, that it would be like where they're stationed somewhere in California. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, fly them, all to, Let's fly them all to New York. Like, wow, that was a, <laughs> that was a twist. Um, uh, Chris, what are we working on? Where can people find us? Uh, we are always putting out more stuff on YouTube. Uh, always, always, always. And then Monday nights have been a pretty good stream night for us. So that's been happening. And then there's there's been occasional other moments when... Brian is sharing his processes. He levels through things. Uh, and then I've got some guide series coming up. I'm going to be dabbling in kind of making a video on classic and then that same video for retail and that same video on 14 to kind of compare aspects of the game as I play all three, because these games have a lot in common, but they have a lot that makes each one really unique. Uh, and last week we had She Heals I Tank for number 50. So if you guys didn't listen to that and you have two hours, it was a blast. I called in from New York. So my audio quality was less, um, but it, we had a, we had a really good time. We had a great post show for those of you that hung out with that live. I think it was like four and a half hours total. That I was yeah, it was it was a monster was monster cast, massive. Uh, and then next week we have Freelancer Codex. So we'll be talking about some Anthem uh, as we go into 2020 for that game. I love it. I, I've actually really been enjoying the uh, the entire season of Ice Tide, and it's nowhere near where it needs to be. So it's kind of like, all right, like it's, it's, it's it feels like it, it does remind me of my experience with 1.0. It's like, well, maybe, maybe this will work. We'll find out if they fix it. And uh, it paid out, it paid out once. We'll see if it pays out more than once <laughs> in that regards. So uh, for Work to Game, thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, on this episode 51. Thank you, Rook, uh, for joining us. AKA no, Bird of Chest. <laughs> no, she was saying that like they, people say either of or uh, AKA. And I was like, that's so funny. Um, so uh, yeah, that's going to wrap up the show. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. For Work to Game, my name is Brian. My name's Chris. I'm Rook. And she's a pro. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.